So welcome back, everybody, to the Brubble Podcast, a podcast where we gather young voices and perspectives from in and around the Brussels bubble. And today, like many people, I bike to work. And biking has been really taking over the modes of transportation nowadays. But it's not just a way of getting somewhere. It's a whole policy field in itself. And that's kind of a fascinating little tangent that we don't think about much. So what are the interconnections between biking, between municipalities, between city governance, between sustainability? Well, to give us a little focus on this and the latest EU policy advancements and his own personal career, I have here Mike from uh, the European Cyclist Federation. Thanks for having me on, Simon. This is my first podcast, so uh, please be doing it with you and, yeah, talk about cycling. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's always been an area where I've been kind of passionate about because it's a way of getting from some place to another place without paying money. And as a Dutch person, that really appeals to me. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm from the north of England and we're known to be uh, prudent with cash as well. So yes. that, that's a bonus. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, my fun fact for a day, I normally don't do this, but I speaking about prudentness, I discovered that the bike was created after the combustion engine or the modern bicycle, um, in the terms of chronology of things. And that's always kind of blown my mind away, that sometimes these very basic things don't come first. Um, and I think that really says a lot about the policy world as well, I suppose. Yeah. Well, I think if you look at the history of the bicycle as well, there's, a, there's an interplay with the automotive industry. Like a lot of today's modern car manufacturers or the, the old car manufacturers started off making bike components first. And a lot of the, the parts on, on cars are uh, the same... Uh, we have the same names, you know, drive trains and chains True. and, uh, yeah, the gears as well. So. Yeah, I definitely hit a lot of horsepower on my bike, so, <laughs> yeah. But before we get, you know, too wrapped up in the history of bicycling, can you tell us, please, Mike, who are you? What do you do in life? So, yep, I'm Mike Brennan. I'm the communications manager at the European Cyclists Federation. I've been in Brussels for nearly 11 years now. And during that time, I've been a cyclist the, the, the whole time since uh, arriving in our beautiful, rainy, sunny, sometimes, Belgian capital. Um, I'm originally from the UK, and I suppose for half of the career I've spent in Brussels, it's been in cycling advocacy. Um, it's one of my big passions in life. I do it for sport and fun on the weekends. I do it for travel, leisure. Um, and I bike every day about Brussels in normal clothes, whatever the weather. Uh, it's just a, a way of life for me. So very pleased to have it as a, as a career as well. And uh, I think comms is, uh, for someone like me who is interested in lots of different things, it brings it all together and uh, every day is different. So that's one of, the, one of the reasons I say a career in comms is great. Right, right, right. And you're the communications manager at the European yes. Cyclist Federation. Yeah. I was wondering what you're saying about comms. So, yeah. yeah. I guess I've heard a lot of people, and I guess it's kind of for myself too, because this podcast is a passion of mine. And some people say you shouldn't mix passion with business. Do you ever feel that way? Do your quads ever hurt too much after a, a whole day of biking and then biking some more? It is something I did think about before I went into working directly in cycling advocacy, um, whether I'd get bored talking about cycling all day but that's never happened i think you find that the people who work in our sector are so passionate and devoted and view cycling not just as something that's cheap fun affordable to get around cities to do as a leisure or sport it's just something that can, we can use to fight the big challenges that we mm. face as a society um, be it climate change be it health inequality, cycling has a role to play. And sometimes we think, oh, it's just the humble bicycle. Yeah. But it's a real 
almost like a, a big multiplier in, you know, in solving those, those challenges that it's uh, yeah, accessible, cheap, affordable, uh, and it's good for you and the planet. So yeah, A vehicle yeah. for change, as the car exactly. lobbyists would not like to hear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I guess looking a bit at the city we're in right now, because I want to start off a bit. You've been in Brussels a few years longer than I am, but as I've been in Brussels, it's been an interesting cycling landscape here. Um, for me, I'm neither overwhelmed nor underwhelmed with how the infrastructure is. I'm just whelmed in a sense, right? Mm-hmm. How have you seen, I guess, the cycling scene in Brussels evolve over the past few years? And yeah, what are your observations? I think what's interesting, you can take a, a bike journey around Brussels and you can see the different generations of cycling infrastructure. It's very visible <laughs> on the streets. True. There's the, the stuff that was... Uh, there 10 years ago, the the lines of paint that was on most streets. I mean, the city and the region, they made a big effort to put in, you know, the first signs of of cycling infrastructure when it was a really low share of people biking every day uh, for for transport in the city, uh, particularly in in, in the centre. Then you see the the segregated stuff coming in, you know, all the the special projects around the the ring road, which came in sort of pre-COVID, but have been finalized in the past few years. And now we see the more, um, you know, coherent, bigger projects that are really coming to the fore. So you can see the city has changed over the past years and it is it's a fantastic transformation. I would say we're, we're on the right path. Obviously people will have their complaints about some some infrastructure is not good enough, but for me, I am very happy to be biking in Brussels every day. I, I don't find it dangerous. It doesn't stress me so much. But then again, I mean, I know that I'm a seasoned cyclist. I do it yeah. sometimes for, for sport, well, often for sport. I do it for every day for transport. So I suppose I have a slightly different perspective. Oh, so, but even for myself, who's I'm mm-hmm. not a sports cyclist, but coming from Canada and then moving to the Netherlands yep. and then moving here, I've seen the worst and the best, right? Yeah. And this is a very good middle ground. I've, I get where I need to get, and I get to play this fun game of seeing how many different types of cycling paths there are. Um, exactly, yeah. I've gotten up to, I think, six or seven different types. So, okay. yeah. And I think we also have to acknowledge that this, we've all got friends who are a bit nervous about trying cycling right. in Brussels. And uh, the prospect of going into traffic is sometimes scary yeah. for people. So. I mean, we have to, it is a safe um, mode of transport that we're always reiterating at ECF. And I just want to get people to experience it, try it, and you realize it's great, it's fun. It's it's maybe a bit daunting at first, but throw yourself into it. And um, I promise nothing bad's going to happen. Yeah, and, and uh, I wanted to ask you at the end of the podcast even, what are your tips for people looking for their first bike? But mm-hmm. we'll, we'll leave that as a little, you know, attention grabber for them to go in. Yeah. But I guess looking at how the climate has changed in Brussels, has this also been the case across Europe? Because you have a focus at the ECF of not just Brussels. It's across the whole European Cyclist Federation. Have we seen a similar kind of transformation or mentality shift towards attitudes towards cycling? Um, Yeah, totally. I mean, the past few years, I said we saw this slow, steady march towards people, especially cities, seeing the benefit of enacting pro-cycling policies that you know, we've all got climate targets to meet, we've all got concerns around air pollution, sedentary lifestyles. Cycling, especially, in, I guess, in the wake of the financial crisis in, the, in 2008, and then the, the Eurozone issues, people had strapped budgets. Cycling was the cheap, equitable way to ch- meet a lot of those challenges, and um, cities began to embrace it. 
During COVID, things accelerated massively. I think we all witnessed this and um, it's been a game changer across Europe. Obviously, you know, we have our outliers. We have the Dutch and the Danes, world famous for cycling. I'm from the UK. Um, and I guess outside of London, there's still a lot of work to do. But even you know, across countries, traditionally not cycling famous, not known for their cycling, it is it, all rising, um, which is great news. Um, I can say that just over a month ago, we were in uh, Seville in mm -hmm. Spain. And it's a fantastic cycling city, which has pedestrianized most of the city center, putting a grand plan for cycling, which has connected uh, all the key areas in the city. Um, it was just an amazing experience riding around. Um, 35 degree heat was strange in October, but um, it's not just, you know, Amsterdam and Brussels. It's happening in Southern Europe as well. It's happening in Eastern Europe. Scandinavia, you go there, go to Finland in December and the Finns will be on their bikes going, going to work. So it's yeah. not about weather or, or, or climate or, or in, inclines. It's all about you know, infrastructure and having the right policies in place. Yeah, because I guess my travel trip tip to anybody who's stuck in a city for only one day and you want to steal the landmarks, just do a bike tour. Most mm -hmm. cities are equipped with that and you get a nice little tour guide in a sense. You, you hit all the landmarks and you're done in like a few hours. Totally, totally, yeah. yeah. So I guess it's a life hack. I, I suppose that also on this topic of examples of case studies of cities transforming, are there any ones that really stand out to you beyond just, you know, Seville, Brussels, uh, examples like that? Any really cool examples that you've seen over the past time? Um, I'd say I don't want to pick favorites. I mean, we work with cities uh, across Europe mm -hmm. and um, it's actually, I mean, generally I'm, I'm thinking it's quite a hard question to answer. There's some good examples. I'm going to go with Ghent. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, they're close to us in Brussels. It's just a quick train ride away or I mean, I can, you can or jump. a longer bike ride. <laughs> yeah, you can jump on your bike and, and, and go to Ghent in, in an afternoon or in the morning and have a coffee or a beer uh, for refreshment when you get to the city center. What's cool about Ghent is they completely, again, they shut down the city centre or made it people-centric, let's say. I prefer to say people-centric rather mm -hmm. than car-centric. Uh, full disclaimer, I do own a car, but, I mean, I only take it on the weekends or when I'm travelling. We can uh, always edit that out. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they... Yeah, the city centre, big pedestrianisation project. It's still accessible if people need to go in if they're, you know, for emergency vehicles or if the people are, are disabled. So it's done in a, you know, a shared uh, way, respecting, you know, the needs of, of different residents. But you can just go travel around by tram, by bike, by foot as second nature. Um, and this is uh, one of the first Belgian cities to do this. This is uh, where they did the closing. And there was a lot of skepticism at first, but after a week or two, all that skepticism around making the center uh, bike and uh, pedestrian friendly disappeared. It's a real success story. Mm. And it's also where I you know, focus a bit on Ghent because we have our Velo City annual conference is taking place there next year. Take your bike. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess focusing in a bit on Brussels and skepticism for us policy nerds out there, there was a pretty big development lately as well. The European Declaration on Cycling, right? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a huge moment for us and very exciting for us as the, the, the cyclists. Um, Can you run us through what it is? Yeah, so I guess I mean, it's something that we've been calling for for a very long time. I mean, ECF, we're, what makes us, we're an NGO that's representing the cyclists. It's in our name. We, you know, we have 50 million members across Europe. 
that are the individuals who belong to what are actual members. But for years and years and years, cycling has not been viewed as a Europe- European competence. It's right. something to be left to the cities, right. to the regions. It's not really something that the EU truly embraced. We would, have, we would disagree with that. We think it's part of the answer to the, the climate crisis, to a lot of health policies, to a lot of transportation policies. Um, and finally, this year, the Commission have acknowledged that cycling is, uh, you know, at, should be, be part of the European policy landscape. Um, the declaration was announced in Seville. In, in October, and it came on the back of uh, a resolution in, in the Parliament that was in, uh, passed in the beginning of this year. There's been calls from member states as well to have a, a more comprehensive, more cohesive European approach towards cycling policy, joining everything up essentially uh, to make sure that the funds, the policy development that's coming out of the EU is going in the right direction, that more cycling is promoted. And, you know, um, I, would not, I would say we're, we're not viewed as a second class um yeah mode of transportation (laughs) well i think i mean it's all looking great and i think Mm -hmm. it's personally i think it's a move i definitely support as a cyclist but there are some in the city mainly the ones who have not embraced cycling and 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 enjoyed their car-centric lifestyles a bit more that haven't really embraced it and we've seen some of the backlash against that i think berlin had i think recently in the news for having some backlash against certain policies and whenever there's a new cycling infrastructure thing being built there's also backlash from the from the car i guess nerds i, I can't call them that the <laughs> the car normal people <laughs> who really well, protest that what, what what do you say to this what, where do you think this angst comes from and how, how do we move forward i'd say what what is normal i mean uh, everyone thinks about the the, the dutch being uh, a nation of, of cyclists and yeah it's true to this day but there was a history of protest and rebellion against the the rise of cars clogging dutch cities in the 1970s and there was almost a, yeah, a civic movement to free cities from cars and uh, the stop killing children <laughs> uh, campaign um which, which put pressure and you know, there, there was a, a confrontation there. So I know that, you know, question of, of, of normal uh, varies from country to country. And so, I mean, where we're standing today, I mean, we had these fantastic years of cycling during the COVID crisis. Across Europe, yeah, you could argue, and we've seen media reports of a, a bike clash happening. And you know, there's you can't take everyone along with you when you're you know want to change behaviors, change how people move. We would argue cycling is the best way to move in in cities. Obviously, some people are disagreeing about that, and we saw that you know in Brussels with the good anti good move protests. We saw, as you mentioned, in Berlin. We as, as a ECF, we're always trying to engage with the policymakers, trying to convince them of that. Yeah, people do want to cycle, but often they're scared because there's not the infrastructure or the, there's too much traffic. So we're trying to create the conditions that you know more people than you think want to move by you know, bike and uh, foot. You know, but I guess we have uh, yeah, some people love their cars, and it's hard to convince those people uh, you know, of, of shifting towards a bike. Yeah, and I, I think part of the thing that I hope will shift minds, though, is kind of tying it to the larger societal issues you were talking about earlier, where, I guess, environmentally speaking, mm-hmm. 
biking is obviously the way forward in cities. Pollution, or even like social rights, mobility, stuff like that. It's much cheaper to have access to a car and get around than, or sorry, I have access to a bike and get around than a car, right? So I think even latching onto these issues, that's kind of what makes this topic so fascinating. It's, it's really a vessel, as we were talking about beforehand, for all these other issues. Yeah, totally, totally. Uh, yeah, it's easy, accessible. I mean, there's an expression that says easy as riding a bike. Um, there's too many expressions <laughs> in the English language. I mean, I don't want to be too stereotypical on this, but you know, in, in times of uncertainty or crisis, you know, I think the bicycle is not going to let you down. <laughs> Can Definitely. I say that? But uh, I also wanted to finish. I also wanted to almost wrapping up the podcast now a bit, looking towards the future. What's really exciting you that's on the horizon? Maybe even in your own work. I'll give you a little moment afterwards to, f- to spotlight what you guys do in your advocacy. Mm-hmm. But really, what's coming up after this? Uh, hopefully, s- successful proposal on cycling. Coming up right on the horizon now, a lot of my time has been taken up with the preparation for COP twenty eight. Mm. We work with um, the PATH coalition of different organizations that are all promoting uh, active mobility, cycling and walking. So professionally, um, we're getting ready to take the the message of make way for more cycling and uh, walking at uh, the COP28. So essentially trying to influence the the process of uh, climate policy. But moving forward, I mean, we have the European elections coming up as well. Right. Uh, this is going to be a huge priority, take up a lot of time in the coming year. So we're working on our engagement with the political parties, with setting the agenda to say, you know, why we need to continue on this path of uh, your know, green transition, sten- sustainability, and cycling should be considered a key part of that, um, not just in the urban policies, but it's also a job creation tool. Yeah. It's uh, way of uh, you know, sustainable tourism as well. Uh, we managed the Eurovelo network, which you know is what we say the European, uh, the backbone of the European cycling network. So bringing, you know, just keeping cycling on the agenda. I think, I mean, we talk about cycling in Brussels. Um, one of the reasons I think we've seen a lot more policy interest is that, well, we, we see a lot of people who are working in the institutions Yes, they were already cycling. There was a you know, a large number of them cycling to work or cycling around town prior to this. But in the bubble during COVID, during the past few years, a lot of people switched to cycling because they realized, I don't want to fight with you know, Brussels traffic yeah. for half an hour uh, no, <laughs> to right. get to the office. I'm going to take a cargo bike and I can, yeah. you know. I mean, I will. I do a vendetta against cargo bikes taking them to the office because they mm-hmm. take up four or five bike slots downstairs. You need to lobby from dedicated bike parking spaces yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we have this in in our office that because uh we have a secure underground car park for yeah. for car and bike park i mean maybe that's part of our culture is so car orientated uh, in this respect so it's also a bike park um that they install dedicated racks just for the cargo bikes uh, so we've filled up yeah. the the normal racks for the the non-cargo bikes there is a tandem that's part of that actually as well um, but then I would expect yeah. nothing less <laughs> yes yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think then finally if people want to get more involved if people want to know a bit more about these issues in depth where should they look so I mean a great starting point is obviously I'm going to say visit the ecf.com or visit our social media channels 
Uh, we are the, we are the world's largest cycling advocacy organization. I mentioned we've got those sort of fifty plus million members, mm. you, actual individual cyclists who we're representing, who we fight for in Brussels on a daily basis. But we're also representing a family of, of cyclists who are our members. Um, you know, in Belgium, UK, France, Turkey, we're spread across Europe. So we have those great resources on 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 our, on our website. Um, we're you know an NGO that's trying to connect and bring uh, the cycling family together. And uh, yeah, you want to visit or learn more about cycling? Uh, check out our, our website. Yeah, and I'll link all your stuff in the descriptions below, and then I'm sure you'll share, share some of the interesting reports because you sent me a really interesting one beforehand, which I'll definitely link as well. I had a quick glance for that one too. But as we end off the podcast, I have two more personal questions to ask you. The first one is, any advice for new bikers in the city? Where should you buy your first bike? This has taken me back to the, the my COVID years where I uh, had half of my friendship group asking, Mike, where can I buy a bike? I really want to get a bike to go, go out and explore. Um, I can't, I'm not going to name specific shops or organizations. Mm-hmm. There are actually, I mean, the great thing that we've seen in Brussels is more and more bike shops have opened. Yeah all offering fantastic array of bikes for different styles, different, you know, brands, colors. So you're spoiled for choice in Brussels today. Obviously, people are concerned about, you know, consumption, uh, interest in the circular circular economy. So I think buying a secondhand bike yeah. is great as well. Uh, you know, all you need to do sometimes to get a bicycle back on the road or back on the paths is a new chain, new tires, and it can be cheaper than you think to restore it. And it's good to have a friend who's a cyclist who can usually do, yeah. do those repairs, but you know, then they're going to show you how to do it yourself. Well, I guess I yeah. have one of those now, you know? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, and I also, my, my, my partner, she also rents one of the bikes mm-hmm. in the city. So she rents an e-bike in that sense, which is like, I feel like 40 euros a month or something for an yep. e-bike. If you yeah. see how expensive they normally are, I think it's a great starting point, especially if it's a bit more healy here for the, the new starters, right? Exactly, yeah. yeah. These uh, subscription services are a great way to get people to try cycling as well, to dip their toes in. Um, and then, you know, a lot of the, the maintenance and the security issues are taken care of as well. Yeah, my partner, she also, she had the swap feet uh, right. at the beginning of the, the pandemic. And then midway through, I mean, we had a lot of... It was, it was a moment where it was quite tricky to get hold of a bike, but yeah, I remember yeah. when I I bought mine during the midst of the pandemic here in Brussels, mm-hmm. and they skyrocketed in price, mm-hmm. and that was across the world the parts. So uh, yeah, 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 that was crazy. And uh, yeah, thankfully we're past that now. Uh, we're past that moment of, of you know pandemic scarcity. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm sure all your listeners will be able to go out and get a bike <laughs> bike with ease. Yeah. And to inspire listeners, I wanted to finish off by asking, what's your craziest bike related story? Because I have one which I don't think you'll top, but I'm mm. going to let you go first as the guest. Okay, my craziest bike ride story. Yeah, uh, first year I was in Brussels. Right. I had, been, I guess I'd been road cycling for maybe a year, and I decided that I was going to bike up to Leiden, where I did my postgrad, right. and I would do it in a day. Ooh. And <laughs> I, I started the ride... I had a rucksack as well, um, Mm -hmm. which if anyone's in a long cycle journey, it's not advisable if you're on a bike for like five hours. For me, it's a sweat, but exactly. But yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, the the day started with uh, a flat tire within 100 meters of leaving my apartment. 
that I quickly swung in a bike shop to pick up a new spare tubes. Um, I, <laughs> I was using my phone rather than GPS, so I think I added an extra 50 kilometers to the, the journey. I managed to, when I was crossing the, the Belgian-Dutch border, beautiful part of the world, but I, uh, my tire, tire got caught in a track of uh, the train tracks crossing. So that was interesting to do a flip over the handlebars, but I managed <laughs> to make it to Rotterdam before sunset. That's not bad. Yeah, and it, it was an adventure. There was lots of beautiful scenery. I got to see lots of cool infrastructure, like the, 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 the bridges crossing the, the rivers in the Netherlands. But by the time... Yeah, I did take a train for the final, you know, Ooh. 20 minutes. I was like, that, I, that's on the air I, now. Yeah, I was, <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, but, but my friends were waiting with, for me right, um, right. when I got to Leiden with a, a really But you nice should have just gone off at The Hague and then been like, oh, here I am. Yes, again. yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, because I've done to the Netherlands before mm-hmm. from Brussels, but I went, my family lives in Zeeland, so the little piece that's like still attached to Belgium. Mm-hmm. And it's so difficult to get to there by train. It's four or five hours by train because you have to take a train to Rotterdam, and then it turns around, it goes to a different station, and like loops back. It's crazy, but it's quicker to bike there. I've realized because mm-hmm. I can make that in four hours, which is just quicker. So it's kind of crazy. Oh wow! Yeah, but my craziest bike story is I almost got hit by a plane once while biking. Wow! <laughs> yeah, I thought you were going to top that yeah. one. But in Canada, I used to live in Canada, um, and during the summers, I would work at this car factory doing during doing night shifts. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd bike home at like six a.m. in the morning or five a.m. or something like that. And of course, Canada, no bike paths, country roads, nothing for miles, right? And then there's this plane, this crop duster, doing his morning rounds, and he spots me, mm-hmm. and then he comes in for a really low swoop above my head basically it barely cleared the telephone poles and for me that's close enough to be considered almost getting hit by a plane while biking wow okay it was dramatic was it was it a friendly flyby or uh i don't <laughs> I, I think the guy just saw the first biker he's ever mm-hmm. seen on a c- country road at 5 a.m in the yeah. morning and he decided this is my hazing opportunity yeah. let, let's get him right <laughs> <laughs> wow wow yeah, that's a good one yeah yeah and it's realistic it's not a tall tale is what yes I'll say. yeah <laughs> Uh, I think we'll wrap up around here now. Any final words you want to share? Any cycling anecdotes? Um, No, I mean, uh, you know, I don't want to uh, rip off Eddie Merckx. Well, I mean, I'd say my favorite cycling quote is, I'm going to paraphrase Eddie Merckx into say, it doesn't matter how far or how long, you know, you go for a ride, just get out there and ride. And look, I mean, everyone is... uh, the world we live in today, I think it can sometimes feel there's a lot of crises and challenges, especially for our generation. Um, you mm-hmm. know, we've just lived through the financial crisis and then another crisis and then COVID and yeah. But just going out for a bike ride can be a way to reconnect with nature, reconnect with your own body um, and the world around you. And it's one of the best things I think you can do just to get out there and appreciate the the simple and little things in life. And that's a great thing. I mean, for me, cycling, it's so simple, but it can have a, a big impact on, on the world around us. Well, that's a beautiful place to leave it. And for the beautiful listeners, thank you for listening in. Don't forget to like, subscribe, do all the good stuff. And I'm hoping we'll see you in the next week or so because I have another episode or two planned. But thank you. And thank you again for coming on, Mike. My pleasure. Thank you.